American songwriter, we had the opportunity to talk to Eric the Architect over Zoom video. Eric talked about growing up in Brooklyn and how he got into music. He talked about how he picked up keyboard at a very, very early age and then ended up playing trumpet in high school. He has a rad story about how the music teacher just let him bring home the mouthpiece of the trumpet. And if you weren't good enough to mimic songs with just the mouthpiece, you weren't able to be in the band. He ended up having the persistence and really wanted to keep playing trumpet, so he played trumpet in the high school band, all while still creating beats with Fruity Loops. He was always a poet as well. Soon enough, he started mixing the two, his poetry uh, and his beats. He started his first rap group, which eventually dissolved, and he linked back up with uh, some other buddies from his neighborhood, and that's how he formed Flatbrush Zombies. Eric tells us about the success of Flatbrush Zombies, where he was when COVID hit, and he talks about the concept and creating his most recent solo EP, Future Proof. You can watch our interview with Eric the Architect on our Facebook page and YouTube channel at Bringing It Backwards and follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Bringing Back Pod. We'd appreciate your support if you follow and subscribe to our podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. We're Bringing It Backwards with Eric the Architect. Awesome, man. Cool. Thank you so much for doing this. Let's do it, man. I'm excited. Awesome, awesome, awesome. Yeah, so this podcast is all about you and your journey in music and uh, how you got to where you are now, and we'll talk about the new EP as well. Sweet. That room is so clean, and <laughs> there's nothing else in there but those two posters. It's kind of crazy, man. Yeah, well, it's funny because we just, uh, my family and I just moved to Nashville from uh, Southern California, so we were, in the, we were in San Diego. We just moved here like... I don't oh, know, two wow. weeks ago. So it's um, kind of a placeholder studio setup until I can get everything going on. <laughs> it's cool. It's cool. I, I thought that was like the look, like uh, minimal. Maybe, maybe I'll keep it. Yeah, like a minimalist. Maybe I'll just keep yeah. it like this. <laughs> I don't mind it. I, I I have too much stuff. So <laughs> right on, dude. Again, so yeah. Thank you so much for doing this. Um, I did read. Born in? Were you born and raised in Brooklyn? Yeah. Talk, uh, tell me a little bit about that. Um, yeah, man. Born and raised in Brooklyn, Flatbush section of Brooklyn. My dad is from Jamaica. My mom's is from Bed-Stuy. Mm-hmm. Uh, my parents met and had my two brothers. Then 10 years later, they had me. And okay. uh, so it is. 10 year, 10 year difference between you and your brothers? 10 and 13 years. Okay, wow. Yeah, I'm I'm 11 years older than my sister, so... Uh, I'm sure she's she feels what you do. I'm sorry. I'm sure with the separation there. Did you ever live in the same house? Like at the time, I had already moved out. Like when my sister was of age to like kind of understand what was going on. But was that kind of the same? No, we all grew up together. Yeah, we were all together. Um, Cool. My middle brother, he went to college in West Virginia, so he left, and my oldest brother was uh, him, and I were pretty much holding the house down. uh, You know, when I was like starting to get into music and stuff. That's awesome. Yeah. That's awesome. Well, how did how did you get into music? I think like most kids, soon I have to blow my nose actually. Oh, go for I it. I have really bad allergies too. So sorry, I'm gonna <laughs> don't worry about it. <laughs> um yeah, I mean, like most kids from my neighborhood, you know, you had not I wouldn't say few options, but you got a couple options of stuff you want to do, you know, like there were kids that wanted to do uh sports playing basketball football yeah. uh, baseball and i was never really super good at any sports i like playing basketball but 
I wasn't like amazing at it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think in high school, um, I, I was, I guess I was writing more like poetry. It was kind of funny because like most rappers don't call their, their raps poems, but <laughs> they were definitely more po- poetic form. Sure. Uh, and I, I really wanted to get into making beats, you know, and I, I had been r- writing for the latter part of my life. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, like as a kid, I was always into reading and I was a kid that brought the extra big book bag and bring all my goosebumps books to school. Oh, there you go. Like there all of them, <laughs> like, you know, like I was always into uh, literature and fiction and, and science. So I think, yeah, in high school, um, I, I became like a part of a rap group, I guess. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, yeah, I guess so. And that's probably when it started. And I started making beats and figuring out how to play keyboard and uh, I fell in love with making music for fun. You know, this before anything else was really real. That's probably the most fun that you have is, is, is when you, uh, you reward yourself for little victories. Like, especially when you do something that you hear in somebody else's music, and you're like, Oh, I wonder how they do that. And then you finally mm-hmm. figure it out. You're like, Oh yeah, that's sure. how they do that. I did that thing <laughs> that they do. Yeah. That's awesome. Keyboards, was that the first instrument you learned or did you do like band prior to, to getting into? Uh, yeah, I, I was in band in high school too, but I played trumpet. Oh, cool. When did you pick so, up trumpet? Was that the first instrument you learned? Well, keyboard was the first because I played it as a kid, you know? Oh, okay. But like, it wasn't like, uh, I wouldn't say I was proficient. I just had one in my house. <laughs> oh, okay. You didn't take lessons yeah. or anything? Or did nah, you a little man. bit? Okay. Nah, dude. Yeah, I'm pretty self-taught on everything. And even trumpet, or how did how did how'd you get into trumpet? The trumpet stuff was just like you had to take a music course in in, in high school. So they were like, "Oh, you want to join band?" I was like, "Okay." And uh, I remember my teacher. I think her name was Lori Friedman. Lori. It was weird too. My high school, you call people by their first names, even the the, the, the teachers. That's there was actually no, like, pretty cool. Miss- yeah. Miss, yeah. We had a half a day every Wednesday too, which was really cool. I went to Brooklyn College High School. Okay. Um, I know that sounds weird, but it's a high school division of a college. <laughs> um, yeah, and she she made us play with a mouthpiece for like three months. Like uh, and just if you the weren't like committed, yeah, she was just like, yo, like if you don't wanna imitate your favorite songs doing that, I won't let you bring home a trumpet, you know. And uh <laughs> I was one of the kids that kept doing it, so she let me you know, she let me bring it home and practice. And yeah, I eventually gave up on that, but I, I played saxophone and trumpet and band. And then wow. I just started to rap after that. Yeah. Sure. Sure. So what you started to make beats when you're in high school as well. Yeah, for sure. Probably okay. in like 10th grade. Okay. And then how, how did you learn that? Was it, did you just get like a laptop with some, uh, like logic or something, or I don't know, Fruity yeah. Loops or whatever at the time. I was using Fruity Loops for sure. <laughs> Fruity Loops was like, Fruity Loops was like the quintessential production. It was like Pro Tools. I knew about Pro Tools. I knew I couldn't afford that. I knew it was really hard to get into. And then it was like Fruity Loops. So uh, a friend of mine, we used to do like beat challenges and we would, because I think we had the demo of it and I think you couldn't save or something like that. Something would happen after a certain period of time. Sure. And both of us had the demo, so we would be like, "Yo, you gotta make a beat until the demo like kicks you off or mutes your stuff." <laughs> Forgot what it was, like what it did. So him and I would just like do beat challenges and send it to each other. Um, and then I was just like, "Man, like, I've always been into music. I was introduced to music as a young guy from my mm-hmm. parents mostly. Um, but I had a very interesting 
uh, scope of music that I was able to listen to. You know, my, my mom really enjoyed 60s Motown, you know, oh, and cool. I was introduced to that before hip hop music. Um, mm-hmm. You know, the Barry Gorey uh, era, you know, with Sam Cooke and James Brown and sure. clientels and Commodores and Ray Goodman and Brown and Percy Sledge and B.B. King. And it was it was a myriad of what I consider the best era of music, mm-hmm. um, the soul era. Um, and then my dad was more into reggae. So I learned a lot of Peter Tosh and Bob Marley, oh, that's Yellow cool. Man. Mm-hmm. You know, and then I have my brothers who show me R and B, um, and and and, and hip hop. You know, my oldest brother was a big Wu Tang fan, so oh, that's my favorite. <laughs> you already know how that goes. Like, oh my gosh, yeah. I had a chance to interview Intel, and I was like, just nerding out on his dad. <laughs> I'm like, sorry, this is about you, but tell me some more about your dad. <laughs> it's like, it's like, oh, yeah, like, what's the best dad story you got? Right? Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's awesome. Cool. So that, I mean, it sounds like you had a pretty amazing, you know, spectrum of music that you're, you're brought up with, um, with, with, with the, once you guys were doing those challenges on Fruity Loops and, you know, kind of doing the beat battles, when did you, start putting your poetry or your raps over, over the, over the beats. I would say like, by the time we were, I was in a junior in high school, I was already like putting stuff. I think sound click was cool at the time mm-hmm. and some other band camp might've been cool at the time. Uh, still cool. But as like, there was no streaming, you know, there was no Spotify. There was no, there was nothing. It was, mm-hmm. you put your stuff on YouTube and hope that people click it. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I think, yeah, by the time I was a junior, my friends and I would press like actual CDs when people bought them. And uh, we would give them out to all the homies at school. We would charge. And I remember we we all like uh, wrote, printed all our lyrics out and put it in like an envelope and mailed it to ourselves, and then sealed it. Because we thought that that was like, if it ever blew up one day, we would, it would prove that we uh, owned the rights like to the you, music. Yeah, it was like a copyright. I've heard yeah. of that before. Yeah. So if you send something through the mail, right, doesn't it become a like it's at that point it's something. a copyright? Yeah, I've heard that's I've heard that before. That's super interesting yeah. to me. <laughs> you we guys were onto something there it. though, right? I yeah, mean, we were just like ahead, I guess ahead of the time in that way. We I think one of us, some I, I don't think it was me, like researched it and was like, dude, like you could do this to like kind of like legitimize yourself a bit. And uh, we thought that that was it. Like we would really blow up off of that. Mm-hmm. We didn't, but it was we cool. We did you know? at some point. <laughs> <laughs> so, well, from that high school group, when did you, like, were you guys performing out or anything? Or was it mainly just recording? I nah, did. Putting it on CD? It was, and- it was, at that time, it was so innocent mm-hmm. because there was nobody to impress but ourselves. And we were just trying to make, each other laugh and impress each other with more references to you know metaphors and funny shit um mm-hmm. and this is before flapper zombies These are like not even uh the group i'm in i was in a different group of like a different circle of people okay but, um we definitely set precedence for like what i eventually learned to do with another group years later mm-hmm. um but there was a short span of after i graduated from high school that i uh I was still making music, but it wasn't like people were paying attention yet, you know? And it was kind of weird because, you know, 
a lot of that music and the, the stuff that I had worked on during that time was kind of washed away because the group that I formed as Flabber Zombies was so majorly more successful that it's like everything before it became so unimportant, you know, or just didn't pop up. It didn't populate on the internet or it wasn't talked about anymore because this other thing is so much more popular, you know? Sure, sure. When did you start? Because, yeah, Flatverse Zombies is huge. So how did that how did that start? Like, dude, was, was that a relationship with with those guys you had prior to forming the group? Or how did you guys get together and, and start that? We've been friends since we were kids, you know, so. Oh, OK. Um, when I was in high school, I knew these guys way before. Uh, way before I went to high school, we were friends since junior high school, elementary mm-hmm. school. Um, I used to go to the school around the corner from my house in Flatbush. And me and Meech lived on the same block. We went to the same school for a couple of years until um, I, I went to a, like a different school. By mm-hmm. the time I got to third grade, I went to like this like quote unquote smart school. So they took <laughs> me from a school in the hood and put me in a different school in a different hood that was supposed to be for like elevated children. Okay. Um, and, uh, you know, we, we were friends before musician, musical partners, I guess. Sure. And Juice lived on the junction, which is about 10 minutes from my house. Mm-hmm. And uh, they went to school together and he introduced me to him. We were probably like 11 or some shit by the time I knew uh, Juice. Oh, wow. And, uh, Super young. <laughs> yeah, bro. We were kids, man. Yeah. And uh, yeah, they would come to my house. We would play video games and talk shit. But by that time, I was making music and I saw that they had the potential to 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 be musicians. And, and they definitely could rap and do understand. They understood the what made good music and mm-hmm. we all have good taste in music um so it was pretty like effortless you know it was just like i was already making beats i was already making music so i had the place to record it was my bedroom but i still had a place to record mm-hmm. um i had beats I had a vision i had the drive i had the passion and they would come over and we would smoke weed to make music you know that's yeah well, with that, with the first group that you formed, was it hard to kind of break away from them and 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 then jo- start? I would say uh, Flatburst Zombies, or was it kind of, you know, that was like hanging out and just kind of having fun, and this became something more serious? Yeah, dude. Like you know how the, those stories end; they never end well. You know, we don't. <laughs> yeah. I don't speak to any of those guys from high school. Oh, we wow. One of them, one of them is still a good friend of mine. Um, sure. Let's say he still came along the ride with me. I think everybody else kind of, for whatever reason, just, we that just stopped off. being friends, stopped yeah. talking to each other. I think there's a bit of like, like a little jealousy, a little confusion, a little everything. I'm sure. Yeah. Yeah. They see you, you know, continuing to to really, really pursue something and then it, and it becomes successful. <laughs> They're probably like, oh, well, maybe I should have just kept really working hard at this. You know, it's almost one of those things where people they get jealous but it's not like you just woke up one morning and we're like okay i'm gonna form flatburst zombies and we're gonna get huge you know what i mean <laughs> <laughs> it was like that was my yeah i didn't like prey on it it just right. like, kind of happened yeah. <laughs> right, right well when did you start seeing success with it like how how did the the next level kind of happen for you with that with with flatburst zombies um i think we played south by southwest um wow and that's when things started to like really kick off because we had this song, Thug Waffle, that started to go viral. And um, it was weird because I wasn't in the video. And then it's like, well, are you in the group if you're not in the video? And I'm like, yeah, it's my beat. 
it's my production, you know, but, and it's like, well, you don't have a verse in the song. I'm like, you don't have to rap on everything that you produce. Mm -hmm. Is he in the group? Is he not in the group? I'm confused. There's only two microphones. Why is it not another microphone for Eric? But da, 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 da. You know, we went through a very interesting period of, like I was saying, where it's like, oh, what a, this guy, I thought he was a, a solo artist or whatever. And then I joined uh -huh. the group and I kind of, um, you know, like I said, we went to South by, it started to kind of form like, oh, these are the guys that are responsible for this really unique sound that's coming out of you know, uh, New York. Mm -hmm. And um, I think a lot of people thought we were very weird. They still think we're weird, but a lot of the pub the publications were writing shit like hip hop kids take acid question mark and it's just like <laughs> you you'd be surprised how far clickbait and titles go um i think that maybe some people thought we were a gimmick but we like i was mentioning to you like we all came up from very musical households so we understand music so even if people thought for a while that it was a gimmick driven group we knew that eventually it would come down to the music and that's where we would win, you know? Cause mm -hmm. when you ask us about our knowledge of music or life or spirituality, we had a lot of answers for that, but maybe on the outside, you just thought that these were guys that were taking acid, you know? And the funniest shit about it is that I never did that, you know, they were into that and I never did it. And I would get grouped with all the things associated with that just because of uh, the company I was in. And, right. Uh, uh, somewhat of our message is, you know, and I feel like I, I was the person in the group or am the person in the group to tell people that they can be uh, open-minded without doing drugs. Right. Um, right. And I think that it became taboo for the group to kind of be like, uh, I gotta explain it, like, yeah, they're like this, but they're not really like that. They're like right. this though. It's like really hard to put, put you in a label place. or yeah, like, like a little cause box. I'm, cause, there it is. Exactly. It's hard to do that because you got me in there. You know, it's easy to do that for the two guys that associate with, uh, you know, uh, expansive drug use, which is open minded drugs, you know. Mm -hmm. um, and I was the one that didn't do it. So it's like, how could you say that this is a drug group? It's like or whatever right. cloud. What do you call it? A cloud rap or cloud whatever. Yeah, I, I don't know. I, I know what you're saying. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's it's interesting. Well, don't you produce all the beats for all all the songs? Yeah, or most of them. Yeah, and I mean, I feel like that's a driving force when it comes to to the music of of any any hip hop song or any or any song in general. Like, I mean, there's there's the rapping and there's the the melodies, but they wouldn't be there if it wasn't for what you had already laid down originally. For sure, for so. sure. I think that a lot of times it's like it's. Producers are heralded now um, amongst, you know, this generation. Was it Generation ZX? I don't fucking know. Gen Z or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> like these kids get it. Like man, the producer, the producer, the producer, uh -huh. the producer. Like man, you ain't shit without a producer. Growing up, bro, being a producer was not cool. It was not cool. It, it was there was no cool. You know, like you had like a Pharrell or whatever, you know, uh -huh. that kind of um, for, for my generation anyway, it, it lets you know that you could be smart and be into cool fashion stuff and have this verbose um, like catalog of music, different styles. But mm -hmm. those things were happening while I was being an artist. Now you, sure. I'm over 30 years old. So now those people have already succeeded. So it's easy to say, well, come on, Eric, there's Pharrell's, there's Teddy Riley's, there's these guys. Yeah. Brizza, you know, yeah. but during that time, these people were still flourishing their career. 
Mm-hmm. And for me, it was just like, uh, producers, like, uh, it's like, what are you, well, you, you, you don't rap or, you know, it was kind of like insulting, but I did rap. I rap before I produced, but I got kind mm-hmm. of a stigma, like, oh, you just make beats. You know what I mean? And I'm All like, right. dude, like, that's not the case. But, uh, <laughs> but th- it, thankfully things took a turn and now people value producers a lot. Uh, sure. More. I was gonna say, man, the the instrumentals, the volume two record that you you have up on Spotify, that album is so awesome. Like, I can just, <laughs> Thank you, <man. laughs> yeah, like I mean, I'll just put that on and just be like doing stuff about the house. You know what I mean? It's just like a chill. I I just I I think it's such a rad record, and I wanted to you know tell you that while we're talking. Cause, oh, thank you, man. Yeah, thanks, I, man. It's albums like that that don't get I don't think as much credit as as they should. Because everybody's for looking sure. for the when's the hook gonna start or what you know when's the vocal gonna hit? It's not if you don't hear it within the first like fifteen seconds, people are you know almost turned off now. Oh, they yeah. might skip it. Yeah, know? right, right, right. So I mean, I think that record is amazing. Um, but let's Thanks, talk man. about yeah, yeah. Well, let's talk about the new the new EP that you just put out. So where were you when COVID hit, and were you guys working on Flatbush Zombie stuff? And then you decided to put out the solo record or were you kind of already doing solo stuff? Like, where were you when that all happened? Um, I have copious amounts of solo music and music that's never seen the light of day. That's just my nature. I'm just a creative person. Mm-hmm. Um, I've clearly, like you said, instrumentals. I've done other projects that kind of showcased that I was interested in doing things on my own. But I think mm-hmm. that like you said, the scope of the group, the objects of the group is just like, we want to hear them together. We want to hear them together. And for, for a long time, I would always wait to what I felt was the opportune time to release music. But I just felt like when COVID started to really become worldwide, I was just like, you know, if I don't do this now, I don't know when I'm going to do this. Um, mm-hmm. Cause I've had these ideas and I had this, this passion to do things and tell my own individual story. Um, I've always felt like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, when I think we had did the video for Afterlife with James Blake right before uh, COVID had began. And we went to Paris to shoot the video. And wow. we shot the video. And by the time we had come back, COVID was a real issue, you know? Uh, and we were like, so damn, you were, we were just... You're in a different country when this all started then. Yeah. Whoa. Like people, we were just like, thank God we left because now I don't think we can go back, you know? And it was... I don't even know how much, how many weeks had surpassed after that, but it was just like, we just missed it. You know, they wouldn't, they, they locked it down right after that mm-hmm. and we couldn't leave the country. So yeah. Um, once that had began, I, I found myself a home clearly like everyone else a lot and sitting in front of all this gear and all of my instruments and shit. And I just felt like, did I want to produce a record or do I want to say something? And I, I just felt like I wanted to say something that I never said. Mm-hmm. And I feel like, to produce something like I normally would, would just be like, oh, the dude from Flabber Zombies dropped a new project. And it's like, that's cool. But I feel like what I wanted to say was to cement myself into history, to know that this was a project that I thought about putting out um, when people needed to hear it, you Mm -hmm. know, and hear a message that I feel like there's no disrespect to anybody that released music that wasn't about reflective times uh, or conscious music. Mm-hmm. during that time but i just feel a little silly playing music about living lavishly and being in fantasy world when 
you got George Floyd protests happening outside my house. It just, it just felt very guilty. It felt very uncomfortable. And I, to be honest with you, I, I, I foresaw, which I kind of feel right now that people would forget about that, you know, mm -hmm. like it's almost like what happened last year. People just say, Oh, COVID. I'm like, nah, no. <laughs> yeah. nah, bro. Mm -mm. Last year was a fucked up year. It was one of the weirdest years uh, that I, I, I really, I, and, and this is not just myself. I'm speaking on behalf of all the people who have been playing this project. It's just like, bro, I needed that. You know what I'm saying? Like I needed that. Cause I just feel like people forget. Um, and, and, it becomes COVID raps or quarantine bars. I didn't want to do quarantine album. I wanted to just do something that was a story and be transparent about what I was going through, things that I felt to create side of uh, reflective moments or affirmations that are positive to uplift people and make them understand that they're not alone in this, in this war. Because whether it's a racial war or social and all these different things is segmented in so many different arguments that you can't just say, you can't point on one after kind of like just say, yo, I can't lose period, you know, mm -hmm. and you can apply that to whatever you want. You can, you know, you could be battling cancer. You can be battling COVID. You could be dealing with a racial disparaging thing. You could be dealing with a relationship with a, your, your partner. It's so many different things. And all those things change. The dynamics of the world change once you're around someone 24 seven. Right. You know? Right. And, or, or, or alone 24 seven. And that's the things I was thinking about. I was like, man, can I future-proof myself? Because most of the time I heard that that terminology being used for technology, like buy this laptop to future-proof yourself for five years. And it's like, if we're giving all this attention to technology, what about the people who made the technology? What about ourselves? Sure. How do we future-proof ourselves? Because for the next five years, I want to live as best as I can too. For mm -hmm. the next 10 years, I want to live. And if I know that information, I want to tell everybody. And it's up to you to really believe me or listen or give me a chance but as of right now a lot of people have been like telling me you know this is something i knew you were capable of doing but um the narrative becomes a bit skewed like i said when you're in a group because there's only so much you can say within your verse you know but i've always had really deep thoughts about um all the things i was talking about you know and losing right. my mother two, two, two years ago to diabetes you know and uh my mother was blind so there was a bit of yeah, no, it's okay. Um, you know, I, I've, I think growing up with a mom who was able to see you and then her losing her ability to see mm -hmm. as I became more mature and experienced uh, puberty throughout college is when she started to lose her sight. And that changed my whole perspective of how I viewed life. You know, it just, mm -hmm. it made me feel very fortunate for what I have, but I also felt kind of sorry for people who view people with disabilities as Lester, you know, cause I, I sure. would go to her to Helen Keller and to the doctor and I would see people treat her like she's a child <clears throat> because she was sick, which I never really quite understood why when people are, have ailments, why you speak to them like, Oh my God, like down. they on don't want right. to be reminded. Yeah. They right. don't want to be reminded of that shit. They kind of want us to talk like me and you are talking, you know? Right. Right. But there's no ambassador or a person that, has been through something like that, that doesn't suffer from it themselves, that's the face of it, you know? That's why I was like, I have to do something about this, you know? Uh -huh. I gotta I gotta be, I have to champion the people who don't have a voice, you know? And and um, I don't have to be of it to be part of it, you know? Sure. And I'm sure with with that, I'm, I'm everybody, if they, 
somebody in that position, they wouldn't want to be like talked down to, or like, just because you have a certain disability doesn't make you any different than an able, able body person. Yeah. At all. At and, all. Yeah. Um, wow. I mean, so with this record, was it something that you started working on? Like once everything kind of locked down because of situations with, you know, being in a, a you know group in flat and in, in flat bear zombies like you guys ever have to work together and collaborate together now you're mm -hmm. kind of stuck by yourself i'm sure at some for some <laughs> point <laughs> like yeah. is this when you were like you know what I, I really need to i have a lot to say and i want to start putting it out this, did you start it the project right around that time as well yeah like i had been the songs all the songs that are on the project i know it's only five it's not like all like there's 50 of them Four of them were made during the quarantine. Okay. Let It Go, the most successful one, I would say, mm -hmm. is the only song I made next to the individuals that were part of the record. Um, so I, I guess in, in, in ways, if I already had planted seeds mm -hmm. for what it, uh, Future Proof before I thought of what the title was and all that stuff, I was still working on music right before um, we had a lockdown. And that was mm -hmm. that song... You know, it came, Romeo came to my house and he played it. There's actually a record for Loyal Connor who's on it, but he wasn't, uh, I think he didn't write to it at the time. I wasn't even supposed to have the record, you know? Mm -hmm. And Romeo played it for me and I was like, bro, this shit is fucking crazy, bro. I have to rap on this. And he was mm -hmm. like, go ahead. And I wrote my verse, no lie, maybe like 20 minutes. Wow. I laid it down and we were just like, yo, this is a hit. You know what mm -hmm. I'm saying? And uh, we had played it for Lyndon who was Romeo's partner in FAR. And he's like, dude, this is great, but like, it's for loyal. Like, he just didn't write to it yet. And I was like, damn. Yeah. He's like, but I'll play it for him and see what he says. And when loyal heard it, he FaceTimed me like, yeah, yo, like, I know exactly what to write about. Like, thank you. You know, and uh, he wrote his verse that night too. And he recorded it and here the song is, you know. So, um, you know, that being the only song that, it's, it's ironic that that's the song that had the most, uh, um, I would say the most reception from from people, uh -huh. uh, whether it's the beat or the chorus, or whatever. That was the only song that I made without thinking about being locked down forever. The rest <laughs> of them were like in the turmoil of like <laughs> everything the lockdown hit, and yeah, I just was like writing every day. And I knew that yeah. if somebody else produced the project, I could focus on just what I had to say. Because mm -hmm. um, a lot of times, you know, as a producer, you you overthink shit. You got a lot of stuff in your mind that you're trying to get out and you think mm -hmm. about levels and mixing. It's like, wait, wait, wait what, what's, what's the chorus? Right. You know, what's the purpose of what you're trying to say? Um, mm -hmm. If somebody else worried about that, it made it a lot easier for me to just be a lyricist, you know? And, mm -hmm. and you know, I barely cursed on this whole project. I think there's one song with Coltrane just because we said fuck in the chorus. The rest of <laughs> the songs don't yeah. have any curses. Mm -hmm. And just was there show, a reason like, behind it or is that you know, just, it just came out that way? It just came out that way. There was no mm -hmm. need to, you know, right. especially personally, and this may be a little whatever, but like, I just don't think like screaming and yelling is always going to really create resolve, especially when it comes to things like murders, you know, and people being treated unfairly. It's like everybody's screaming and burning and throwing shit, bro. Like, did, did that fix anything before? Didn't yeah. fix anything. You know, I wanted to make music that you could write and print out. And if you wanted to put it, on a poster and hang it up and show people what it says, then you could, cause it's not riddled of curses and just fuck these people and fuck this. It's like, mm -hmm. that's not, 
that's not it. You know what I'm saying? Like, mm-hmm. um, I feel like Nelson Mandela, you know, like this guy's voice was very gentle. You see, you see the impact his voice had, you see the impact of his mind and people respected that. You don't need to be the loudest person and scream all these things and make this really abrasive music about terror and pain. You can still have people feel your message and speak in a tone that is very relatable. And that's the tone that I went for. I just was like, I want to sound like I'm your friend or your cousin Mm -hmm. or your family member talking to you, not like a guy on a podium, you know, And, and maybe it's just the innate part of me that my personality, I'm a lot more chill than what people perceive as flapper zombies. But mm-hmm. I clearly have another side too. And I just think that as artists, we should be able to showcase all parts of who we are and not just the thing that you know me for, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I love that, man. I, and I love, I love the record and it, it, and especially the song I can't lose. And with, with that, like you have features on almost all the songs in the record too. Was that hard to, to accomplish with, with the restrictions or like, was it all over FaceTime? Like how, how were you able to get like Sophie Faith on the, on the, on die for you, for example, these were all like link ups from just working from before. The only person that I didn't know was Pitt Millet, which I'm a fan of her music. And, um, you know, I remember hearing her music in Europe when I was on tour and, uh, Mm -hmm. My homie had played me, was playing her music. I was like, yo, bro, that shit is hard, bro. Like, in night I feel lonely, you by my side. You know? I was just like, damn, this is this girl's voice is incredible, man. And um, I already followed her from then, you know? Um, and I think I might have said, like, I'm a fan. And she followed me back. And um, when I had made Selfish, it wasn't even called Selfish. It was called Future Proof. And it was ironic because I had wrote in the second verse that when the music is from the soul, it's future proof. And um, when she had heard the song, she I, she wrote the hook immediately, recorded it, sent it back to me. And I was like, holy shit, I was blown away. And I was like, man, I almost feel like this song is selfish now because of what she had wrote. But also I'm going to extract the part that I took from the verse and make that the whole theme of the project. You know, so collaborating through the quarantine was one of the things that I excelled at I became mm-hmm. to me anyway I felt like I became excellent at it you know not that I wasn't a great collaborator before but this is all remote and these are all European artists you know I'm the only mm-hmm. American artist on the whole project <laughs> from the production <laughs> to the mixing to the mastering it's all from UK oh wow I didn't realize that wow yeah that's cool I mean and 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 do you think you'll work like this and coming up in the future, if we're all still, hopefully won't be out, we'll be outside here soon enough. But like, is this something that you think you'll continue with? Do you, do you like uh, the fact that you can just do it all remotely or would you rather be in a studio with, with them in person? I'd rather be able to look in the person's eyes and shit. Okay. You know, I'm, I'm a intimate dude. I, I really feed off of people's energy. And that really is always, <laughs> that I was always played into how good the music turned out. Like I said, it's not ironic whether art is so subjective, right? You can't say who's better or what's best. It's all opinionated, but it is ironic that Let It Go was the only song that I made in person with the guys, you know? Mm -hmm. So although Loyal gave his verse remotely, it was still created, the epicenter of it was created in person. Mm -hmm. So I, I do believe that that has the strongest payout, which is like being around someone and catching a vibe. You know, music is to me, it's a report of what you feel that day at that moment. It's not, it's an exchange of feelings. It's 
it's bigger than just being like, I'm gonna just be quiet and type a verse on my phone. And when I'm ready, I'm gonna get up and record it. It's like, I don't, I don't personally like doing that. A lot mm-hmm. of artists I see, they have, everybody has their own interesting style. I think I've seen Future say that when he's thinking of something, he doesn't even say it out loud until he gets behind the microphone because once he changes it, once he says it out loud, it's going to change how he records it. Um, uh, almost like, oh, let, 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 let me go in the booth right now. Uh-huh. Cause you're like eager to record. And that eagerness creates that unabashed, like there's no filter. There's no wrong or right yet. Cause you didn't write it down. You're not committed right. to how it sounds. You're not committed to the tempo. You're not committed to the tone. You're not committed to the key. It's just what's there. Your head. Yeah. Right. I like that. Yeah. That's yeah, that, that that's that makes a lot of sense because once you're sitting writing it out, you're over you could even overthink it. Oh, dude, you're not just you, going, you, you're like, huh, does this make as much sense as it should? Or right. am I really trying to say that? It's like if you're just going off the cuff, <laughs> you know, you could come You'd up with You'd be surprised some, what yeah. you come up with, right? I yeah, think D'Angelo did that as well. Yeah, D'Angelo didn't Biggie big, do that too? He'd just go in there and biggie. just start going and like without Jay-Z. even <laughs> Yeah. It's yeah, it's amazing. It's amazing with those I guys. I think you don't really it. um you don't really like um, D'Angelo. He said the first take is the best take, right? Mm-hmm. I was like, damn, you know, sometimes in the first take, you fuck up so many times. And you're just like, <laughs> damn, you do, oh, 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 let me do it again. Let me do it again. Right. But at that point, I would say after the third time, you're probably just imitating what you think you should do. So mm-hmm. I kind of am very similar in the way that if I record something, I always go back to the first take to take something from it whether it's something that I sound like I messed up on or the way I pronounce something. Cause I feel like there's some, there's potency to that first time mm-hmm. because that's what your initial instinct told you to do is before you try to perfect it and be the best you. Um, and I just attribute it to old school. Like we were saying about the sixties, mm-hmm. you know, I treat it like tape regardless of how many right. get gigabytes is on my computer. You know, when the OJs and, when the, the the stylistics and the shy lights recorded all the doo-wop bands with five or six people in it, they practiced this song for like months before they went to the studio. Mm-hmm. And then when they went to the studio, they recorded it like once or twice because they didn't have no money or, or, Oh, let me get another tape. Like, yeah. Cut like physically cut tape and, and, and move things around. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Impossible. <laughs> right. Oh, that yeah, that's great advice, man. Well, and speaking of which, like my last question for you really is if you have any advice for aspiring artists. Dude, do I? Um <laughs> probably slips uh, <laughs> too much. Too much. Um think individualism, right? Here's his it's it's so many, there's so many different things I could say about being yourself, right? Um, and I know it's like cheeky and, and, and corny to be yourself, be yourself, give yourself a hug. Sometimes you really need to give yourself a hug and merit yourself for the things that you do that make you happy. That's the first thing. And if you want to become an artist, you have to understand that that little hug you gave yourself may not be reciprocated for a while. You don't know when you might get that hug. You may, you may unfortunately, may never get it. Some people ask me, do I make music for myself? I definitely make music for myself. Like I heard some people say that's bad. I think that's great. If I'm impressing myself and my music makes me feel good, then there must be something to that. I'm not crazy. I like good music. So I'm not going to delusionally like something that is bad. 
Um, mm -hmm. I think that initially you start with making music for yourself and then you realize that your music is healing power to other people. And once you become okay with other people giving judgment on whatever it is, that they like your music or they don't like it, then you could have, you can really take it and make it a career because now you almost okay with whatever it turns out to be, you know, like you can't trivialize and makes things bigger than, than they have to be. Just have fun and be yourself. Cause uh, most of the time when you start to get streams and you go on tour and stuff, you are just trying to outdo your last, you know, my homie told me when your first album, you know, you, you do your first album is however old you are. You're 28. It took you 28 years to make that first album. And then everybody wants you to make a better album when you're 29, which is one year. How are you going to do that? It took you 28 years to think of these things that you thought of. Then they want you to do a better album in not even a half time. They want you to do it in light speed time. And I want you to do it better. And I want you to look better. I want you to have more money. But at the same time, I don't want you to remind me that you may leave me because you might blow up and I don't want everybody to know about you. It's just like all these rules and who made these rules, you know? So initially you got to be like, yo, do I like this shit? Because if I don't like it, I don't care how many records it sells. I'll have to live with this song and perform it. The, my biggest fear is to perform a song I hate and everybody loves it. Um, and and I, I think that also couples with self-identification. You know, at a, at a beginning part of my career, I definitely melded. Um, I, I was more like, oh, I'm going to just chill back here. Mm -hmm. I'm going to let you do whatever. I'm going to let all these other artists be because that's not me because I'm humble and I'm nice and shit like that. And I think that that's great. But in music and entertainment, nah, that's not okay. Because if you almost are telling me that you rather sit in the back and you want to be an artist, that's great for a lot of other professions. But if you want to be an artist, you need to be right in the front because people need to see you, man. Especially if you have a message that's going to give people hope. The only way that they believe you is if you write in the camera lens. You know, you got to tell people, yo, this is me regardless of you have a pink hat on or green shorts or Timberlands or a tank top, do you be right in the camera? Cause that's end of the day, that's who you are. And you have to be okay with that reflection. And uh, I know that that comes from a lot of uh, fear and, and insecurity, but you'd be surprised how that would give you power. You know, you look at the old Snoop Dogg videos when he first came out, it was like a whole thing about Snoop Dogg is one of the most confident individuals ever. You know, we toured with him. We toured with him a couple of years ago. Wow. Amazing person. You would never be, you would never think this guy was shy. He was shy in those videos. Look how confident he is. Those early videos, the first couple of years, he can't even look at the camera because he's like, yo, like, this is weird. You know, this is the first time I ever did this, but that gives you power. You know, you got to see that. And, and, uh, you know, you shouldn't, I'm not embarrassed about anything that I did. I don't listen to my voice when I was 15 and be like, turn it off, turn it off. I'm like, turn it louder because I kind of need to like, <laughs> you know i need to remind yeah. myself of who i who, of who i was and who i am now you know so yeah, hopefully that this is yeah hopefully this is this will help any kids any any adults anybody with a dream you know because i was that kid too you know i still pay any amount to go see any person once things open back up i'm not gonna just email the promoter and ask for free tickets to go to a show i'll, I'll pay that money to see these artists be themselves and, and do their thing that one of the last shows i went to see was uh Nalu for Yanya out here in, in, um, in California. It was a great show, you know, mm -hmm. and um, I don't even remember if I paid for my ticket or not. You know, I just remember it, it was great. It was great. I <laughs> give that experience 
to everyone, you know, and share that and, and, and be part of something that I think really will last the test of time, man, and have longevity, you know. I think that's what all artists want anyway. Yeah.